0: good morning, y'all, and happy Lord's Day. Thank you. Guys, what a beautiful weekend we have um, upon us. I mean, not only did Nichols crush that football game last night. Congratulations, guys, by the way. Y'all did an awesome job. Um, But we also opened up our Adoration Chapel just an hour ago. Um, What a joyful, joyful experience. What a gift to our whole community um, to have Jesus exposed in the chapel right here 24 hours a day. You have little uh, pamphlets in your uh, pews, many of you might have them, some might have disappeared. If you need some brandy is over here, and uh, she can hand some out to you um, but'm uh, this is going to be the homily it's going to be a very different homily, not like I would normally give, because I want you to know what's inside of our chapel. First of all, I want you to know who's inside of it, Jesus, but I want you to know the incredible artwork that is inside of it and the history that goes into it so that you can appreciate it a whole lot more be proud of what we have at St. Thomas. Um, This is a chapel that is unlike anything that I've ever seen and it went far beyond my own even creativity and imagination of what this chapel is and the beautiful gifts that are inside of it. Back in 2018 um, the church went through a terrible time. We all know what it was about the scandals that hit the church And it rocked our world as Catholics. And many people were so hurt uh, by this, and rightly so. It was atrocious acts that were done. And a lot of people responded to that in very different ways. The way that we responded to it here at St. Thomas was through prayer. Was talking about it, crying about it, doing what we had to do to move through together as a people of God. And we decided at that moment that God was calling us as a community to build a perpetual adoration chapel. A place where people can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and see Jesus, be with Jesus, exposed in the Blessed Sacrament to receive healing and mercy and protection. That's what started this vision of the perpetual adoration chapel. And, uh, and I'm ever, forever grateful that God called us to this. And then you, as a community, stepped up and did it. The way that we raised all the money was remarkably a miracle, um, we did this campaign called I Give Catholics, which is a national campaign, and, um, <clears throat> and we had 24 hours to raise the money that we needed. Within those 24 hours, you as a community, we raised over $230,000 because of your generosity and your vision, your, your belief in this vision. We were the third most raised money in I Give Catholic nationwide. Little Thibodeau, right here at Nichols. Only behind New Orleans and one of the big diocese, right? So this is something to celebrate, um, and it's something to give thanks to God for. We had set a date. We wanted the chapel to be open in August so that whenever school opened up, it would be here for the, the students and the faculty um, and the parishioners to enjoy. Well, that wasn't the plans of God. That was Father Mitch's plans. Um, and... Uh, and we sat down and we tried to figure out this, we were getting pushed back. Because all of a sudden, if you remember, we had like two months of rain. And uh, so we got pushed back. And if you're in construction you never know what that's about, you know that these things happen. Somehow or another, we did end up getting the slab down and sitting down with Lee Rutter, our, our uh, contractor, and David the DePlantis. And we said, okay, we got to figure out another date. What's, what's opening day? And, uh, and Lee just looks at me and he goes, well let's just say we're going to shoot for October the 13th. And I was like, okay, a little later than I was wanting, but October the 13th it is. And then it hit me. I'm like, oh my gosh. October the 13th is significant. It's the last day of the apparition of Our Lady of Fatima. So on October the 13th in 1917, Mary appeared for the last time to the three children. This apparition, I can't get into it right now, but this apparition of Fatima is significant for our day and age. And so it's the day that Mary appeared for the last time, and it's the day that the sun danced. 70, I think it was 750,000 people were out in the field, and all of a sudden a miracle happens. It was pouring down rain. The sky rips open, and the sun begins dancing all over the sky. Everybody witnesses it. They thought it was the end of the world. It's the day the sun danced in Fatima. So I was like, oh, sweet. <laughs> like, that's going to be the date, Lee. Let's do it. So, um, so a couple of weeks go by, and I was like, all right. Um, I woke up in the morning, and I heard some construction going on. I walk outside, and the first wall is going up. Boom. On May the 13th, which is the first day of the apparition of Our Lady of Fatima, so this entire little chapel got built literally in the five months that the Blessed Mother appeared to the children of Fatima in 1917. That's not my plans. That was in the plans of God. And not only that, we just found out about two weeks ago that uh, there was this guy named Cardinal John Newman. Um, he is the, uh, the, the one priest. He was a, a, a bishop that started the Newman Centers all around the United States. Every college campus had a Catholic presence, and it was called the Newman Center. We started the Newman Center here at St. Thomas in 1948. We were the first student organization on the campus of Nichols State University. 1948, the Newman Center. Today, in Rome, the church canonized Cardinal John Newman as a great saint in the church on October the 13th today. crazy, isn't it? Like, we couldn't have planned this at all. I didn't call the Holy Father up and say, you know what would be cool, dude? If you would would canonize Cardinal Newman, the the patron saint of college campuses, on October the 13th, that would be lit. I didn't call him and say that. So you just got to know that this is beyond us. It is an act of God that has moved on this campus. There is this wonderful quote. It says, if I see further than other people, it is only because I have stood on the shoulders of giants. If I see further than other people, it's only because I have stood on the shoulders of giants. In the church, we have giants. We have these heroes that we look to. These men and women who've gone before us that were just like you and I. But they gave their life in service for Christ for the glory of God. And they became great saints. So inside this chapel are various images of great saints, giants in our church, whom we stand upon their shoulders so that we can see further. We experience things of which they did not see. And so I want to go through and just share with you as a family the stories of the art that's in here, of the saints that are going to be present with us as we pray. So if you take out your little uh, picture page here, your homily help. These two pictures that you see on the front, Saint Joseph and Saint John, <clears throat> there's a lot of symbolism in them. They were uh, they were drawn, they were painted. They are absolutely original. Never have these been painted in the history of the artistic world. They were painted by a young man that lives across the big pond, which is the North Shore, right? <laughs> he lives over there, and he's a phenomenal artist, and so. I got together with him, and I gave him a few little details of what I wanted to see in it, and then he just went to town, and you should the stuff that he did blows my mind. So let's start with Joseph. It's the title of St. Joseph, the custodian of the two hearts. He's the one who's the, the caretaker of the sacred and immaculate heart of Jesus and Mary. In the right-hand corner, um, you'll see a staircase that spiral. This is a, 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 a tradition <clears throat> back in Laredo. Um, the tradition is that these nuns um, needed a, a staircase to get to their loft to be able to sing. And miraculously, this young man shows up. He says he's a carpenter. He wants to build their staircase for them. He works hard day and night, and he builds this staircase. I've been there. I've been on the staircase. It is phenomenal. There's no pole going up the middle to hold the spiral staircase. There's no nails that were used. I don't know how he linked them together. Carpenters for centuries now have marveled at the carpentry work of the staircase. Legend has it that it was St. Joseph that came and built it for him because they were praying in novena to St. Joseph to send somebody to help out with the staircase. At the end of this, this project, the young man disappeared. They have no idea where he went and where he came from. So the staircase is depicted in here. In the back you'll see a, a window with a little demon trying to get out. and He's got a sword through his back. That sword is because we, want, we, but we hate the devil, and so want uh, God's grace kicks him out. So he's trying to get out of St. Joseph's carpentry shop. Why? St. Joseph, one of the titles is Terror of Demons. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Isn't that nice? So you have this little devil trying to get out. You have this little staff on the far right-hand side with a white dove landing on top of it. It's an ancient tradition. It's not biblical, but it's a tradition in the church Um, that whenever Mary was going to be betrothed, given to someone in marriage, um, they called the men of the temple out to see who was going to be the one to marry her. And uh, they had to put their staffs up against the wall. And many times in biblical times, the staffs would end up blooming or doing different things to show God's favor upon a person. You can see it with Aaron in the Old Testament. (laughs) It said that Joseph felt unworthy to be the spouse of this holy little uh, young lady. And so he held on to his staff and he didn't put it on the wall. The, uh, the priest saw it and told him said, Joseph, you have to put your staff on the wall. And so he goes and he puts it on the wall. And sure enough, the tradition is that a dove came and landed on it and it bloomed flowers. That was the sign from God that he was the one to marry our lady. When you come into, the, into Joseph's shop, you see this little a uh, circular oval image of the, the monstrance the blessed sacrament we believe as you've heard the past two weeks jesus is present in the eucharist so the, this guy this norman this uh, artist has a way of taking what was old and brings it into the new so you could say every dad would have a picture of their kid in his carpentry shop so there's a picture of jesus in the monstrance when you walk over and move to the window you'll see at the very top left hand side it's a frosted window and it's St. Joseph holding the child Jesus. Because in the apparition of Fatima, that was one of the things Joseph appeared holding the child Jesus. Next to him in the top middle is the sun dancing. to depicted October the 13th, the day that the sun danced in Fatima. And then right in the middle of the window, you'll see the Basilica of St. Peter's. St. Joseph's title is the protector, defender of the universal church. Then you'll see on his... Um, on his uh, workbench, there's a monstrance. That's the home where Jesus is going to reside in the Holy Eucharist because Joseph built the house for Jesus in Nazareth. You go down to the right-hand corner, I mean the left-hand corner, you'll see a candle, which is the symbol of the light of faith. You see the Bible that's opened up. Of course, he wouldn't have had a Bible like that, but bringing the old into the new, it's a prophecy of St. Joseph from some the, of the Scriptures. And then you see a rosary on the little table, symbolizing that Joseph would have meditated on the life of Jesus and Mary contemplated it all of his life, symbolic in the rosary. Go all the way to the right-hand side. You see a piece of wood that he would have been whittling on. One little whittle is the, uh, the fleur-de-lis, which we know that is a symbol for Louisiana in many ways. But it's also in the church the symbol of the virginity of Mary, which Joseph protected. And then you also see the next little one, the middle one, is the, is the uh, pelican. That is symbolic of the Eucharist. It's not just our state bird. What happens with a pelican is if her babies are starving, the pelican will actually pull the flesh off of her own breast and feed the babies. So for centuries, the pelican is symbolic of the Eucharist. If you move up to the bottom, right behind Joseph, there's this round window. It's called a rose window. Basilicas and cathedrals for centuries have had these. It's symbolic of Mary. Then you move up to Joseph. He's holding the two hearts. He's protecting them. The sacred and immaculate heart. And there's a spear that goes right through both of their hearts showing that they both, they both shared in the same sufferings uh, for mankind. Incredible. So beautiful gift right there. And Joseph is masculine. I hate when they show Joseph looking all feminine. I, I told the artist, I said, look, I don't care what you do with Joseph, but I do care that he don't look feminine. I want him to be strong. He was a protector, a defender, so he looks. He's strong looking. And he's gazing down at the hearts. This man of humility. You look over at St. John. St. John, again, from the old into the new, he's celebrating the Holy Mass. This is called the, pri- the priestly and pierced heart of St. John. You've got uh, the Lamb of God at the bottom of the altar. You have the fleur-de-lis for Our Lady and then the Trinity with those three, the three circles on the bottom of the altar. You move up onto the, to the altar and you'll see the uh, pelican right in the middle of the tabernacle door. And then the four instruments of the passion. Then you go up to the cross. And you see from the cross there's a sword going straight through from the cross into the heart of St. John. And you see Mary walking on the sword. What's this about? Well, it was at the cross that Jesus gave Mary to John says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. It says, And from that moment on, John took him into everything that was his own. It means that John took Mary into his heart. But John's heart had to look like Jesus' heart. Can you imagine being John 18, 19 years old, maybe 20? And he's looking at Jesus dripping with blood on the cross, crucified for us, not fully understanding what happened. He's looking at Mary in sorrow of what has gone on with her son. And can you imagine how John's heart must have felt? Pierced, suffering with them. I would say that that was the entryway into the heart of John. Mary was able now to walk into the priestly heart of John. He was ordained the night before. And now Mary has access into his heart. Why? Because it's been pierced with sorrow as Jesus and Mary's heart was. So now the priestly heart looks like Jesus' heart. That's why Jesus could entrust her to him. So this is something different. You'll never see this anywhere. Um, this beautiful image of the priestly and pierced heart of John. Traditional chalice with a snake coming out of it. They tried to poison John to, to kill him and it didn't work. So there's a snake coming out of it. And then at the very top, right in the very middle, is like this cloud of witnesses. It's St. Michael, and then it's all these priests. Because the church teaches that in the mind of Christ, every priest existed. He knew us from that moment until the end of time. And so this shows this cloud of priestly witnesses that's existing. Isn't that incredible? All right, turn your page um we'll move a little quicker through these our blessed mother this is a six foot statue from spain that i came across at my friend's house he has this shop he lives across the big pond um again covington area um and he just collects all this stuff and i saw this six foot statue of mary i'm like i gotta have her and i didn't know why i had to have her we had not even thought about this chapel i just knew i had to have her she looks real like you stand underneath and you wait for her to start talking to you um maybe she'll whisper some plays to you next week coach (laughs) <laughs> All right. Um, she's in the immediate right-hand side, and then next to her is this beautiful, <laughs> is this beautiful oil painting again from Spain um, of Jesus, and his heart is burning with fire with love for us. It's out of the side of Jesus' his heart is this, this flame shooting out. It's incredible. Um, again, my buddy had that one, and I had to have it. I didn't know why, but now I do. Turn the page, you see an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, this is a significant image. She's the patroness of America. And um, I got this image in Mexico City in in the spring whenever we went with our students to do missionary work to serve the poorest of the poor. Um, notice the uh, the stars on Mary's mantle on the left and right. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And then she's on the immediate left when you come into the chapel. And then on the right-hand side, you'll see a big image of the Divine Mercy, Jesus Divine Mercy with St. Faustina. This is the apparition of our time, 1930s, the message of mercy. Turn on the page. We have these stained glass windows. This one blew my mind, all right? Um, we, I was given by the architects the, the plans, and I told them I want stained glass windows. They said, okay, if you want the stained glass windows, they got to be about, and she told me the things like, two foot by eight foot. Y'all, that's hard to find a stained glass window, two foot by eight foot. And if you do, you got to pay for it, and that's thousands of dollars per window. So I'm talking to my buddy, Mr. Kurt, across the big pond, and I told him, I said, look, do you have windows that are two foot by eight foot by any chance? No, Father, all I have is big windows. All right. About an hour later, his wife says, she says, baby, she says, we do have some windows. I don't know if they'll fit, but they're smaller. She said, they're up in the attic. She said, we've had them for about three years. Yeah, we went up in the attic. They were still in bubble wrap. And we measured them. Guess what? They were the exact size that we needed for the chapel. Like, <laughs> again, blew my mind. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And yeah, they're from the 1800s from Germany. That's pretty cool. Jesus has blonde hair. <laughs> so, <laughs> didn't know Jews had blonde hair. But anyway... You'll see six windows in there. They are the nativity of Jesus, Jesus healing the woman that that was hemorrhaging, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the crucifixion, Jesus being taken down from the cross, and the ascension. All right, inside the chapel, that next picture, um, you'll see the very top is this beautiful, beautiful high ceiling, um, and it's covered with cedar wood. I love cypress. I'm a man of cypress, but we didn't put that in there. Cypress is in the very entrance, but... The cedar is symbolic of the scriptures. In the Old Testament, King David wanted to build a temple for God. And he wanted to build it out of cedar wood. So the cedars at the top, symbolic of that part of the scriptures. And then on the floor is these stone-looking uh, laminates, but they look super real. And then you have real marble, white marble on the inside of the sanctuary. You have the fire of the sanctuary lamp, and then you have the holy water as you come in. It's all symbolic of the elements of the earth. Basically, all of creation is lending itself to give honor and glory to God in the Holy Eucharist. Alright? So if you come down into the middle of the uh, wall right there, you're going to see the circle. That's a three-foot mosaic that one of our parishioners, Dr. Anne Boudreaux, made. It's little bitty pieces of glass. That she made. It's only her second one to ever do. She's super talented. I'll get into what the imagery is about. And then you'll see the Eucharist surrounded by the angels. All right, let's turn the page. I'm almost done. Stay in there with me. All right, this mosaic that Dr. Anne did, it's Our Lady as the Ark of the Covenant. What you see is Mary. And these are little pieces of glass, y'all. It's crazy beautiful. Originally, it was going to go on the outside of the chapel. And once I saw it, I'm like, oh, babe, no way. That's got to go inside. And so that's where it went, right above the Eucharist. So you see Our Lady, and in her womb, she holds Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. Everything of Jesus is what's illuminating Mary. Mary's beauty and glory comes from her Son, Jesus. Coming out of the Eucharist from her womb is the rays of mercy, the blood and water that comes out from the side of Jesus. Then coming down the bottom, you'll see roses, symbolic of Our Lady Guadalupe. And then you see these two angels which are symbolic of the two angels that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. This Ark held types of God. On the top, the lid, were these two gold angels that were in adoration with their their wings touching. This was where God would come down and tabernacle, dwell with His people, and that was called the mercy seat. Because God would sit down and pour out mercy upon His children. So Our Lady is now the Ark of the New Covenant, Jesus. She doesn't hold types of God but she held God Himself who is the author of all life and creation. You will see on the, on the round Mary's head twelve stars, symbolic of the apostles, the crown of Our Lady. And then you'll see on the left and the right in the blue, there's stars. Now go back to Our Lady Guadalupe. The two sides of Our Lady with the stars. Dr. Anne looked at that image of Our Lady Guadalupe and mimicked the stars. So the way they show up on Mary's mantle is how they show up in here, the exact position. That position of the stars mirrored on Our Lady, astrologers found out that the night that Mary appeared in Guadalupe, that was the constellation, was in the same spots as what appeared on her tilma. So, just really cool stuff. Alright, the last thing is the monstrance and this angel beer. Uh, The monstrance is is ancient. Um, I don't know exactly how old it is, and I don't know the history of it, but um, it's beautiful. It has angels all over it and beautiful gems um, to give glory to God. And then you have these four angels. Um, these angels are from Spain, and they used to be carried in procession. There was a little base on the bottom. They would put a statue underneath them and carry them in procession through the streets, and, uh, and people would come from all over the place. So I don't know the history more than that, um, but they're magnificent. From the top of the Holy Spirit to the bottom is seven feet tall, all right? Um, The name of the Adoration Chapel is Two Hearts Perpetual Adoration Chapel, right? The two hearts, Jesus and Mary. We had made that decision long before we saw these angels. Isn't this kind of cool? The two angels in the front, they're each holding a heart. I just think that's kind of neat. Two Hearts Perpetual Adoration Chapel. On the very back, many other things are inside that chapel. You have two beautiful images in the very front of St. Luke. The evangelist and St. Matthew. St. Matthew is in the bathroom, okay? That's where you'll see Matthew. So whenever you're doing whatever you do in the bathroom, you can meditate on St. Matthew, right? (laughs) Y'all, I was going to put St. John, but I decided not to. (laughs) I ain't right. Um, (laughs) You also, on the outside, as you walk, there's these two little coves. They're empty right now. Next week, we should have the angels in. It's St. Gabriel, the archangel, and Raphael, the archangel. Go inside of those. We have an angel, holy water font as you come in, the altar rail, sanctuary lamps, and kneelers, right? So, super incredible. I wanted to share this with y'all. I know it took a little bit longer. I appreciate your patience. Um, But I think it's important that y'all know the treasure that we have. We don't have a museum in the chapel, we have living history, living art. That has been used to worship and honor God for centuries. It's a living tradition of the faith that we have. And that's what is present here. I don't know of any other college campus that is a state-run campus that has something like this. It's such a gift. Seriously. And all I can do as a priest is just to say thank you to y'all. Y'all made that happen. Y'all cooperated with God in bringing about this vision because we believe that it's only by prayer that incredible things, mountains can be moved. And the conversion, the mission of St. Thomas is the conversion and the outpouring of grace upon our staff and faculty and President Clune and all the students that ever come here and all the parishioners. This is our mission and you made this happen. So as your pastor, I just want to say thank you. And I'm filled with joy today as we move forward as a parish to fulfill the mission that God has set us on, right? I didn't come to St. Thomas expecting to build an adoration chapel. That was not in my plans. But it was in the plans of God. And that vision came true because of your generosity. And I know that now that adoration chapel won't be empty. It's going to be you and me filling it up with holy hands lifted up to God. And so now... If I ever have a conversation with Bishop on where I want to be moved, I will tell him to forget about me and let me stay right where I'm at. <laughs> Very happy being here. I love, I love you guys, and uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I just love it, and so it's a great joy. It really is uh, to be with y'all and to, to be a part of making this happen for not just Nichols, but the whole town of Thibodeau. Uh, what a gift y'all are to all of us. God bless y'all.